Hey there, everyone. This is Greg Schutz for ReadyForTheDraft.com, and this is the Ready for the Draft podcast, episode 31 of the 2020 podcast series, getting you ready for the NFL draft, which is set to begin Thursday, April 23rd, the first virtual draft in the league's history. 100% virtual. It's going to feel a lot like your online fantasy football draft. So it'll be interesting to see exactly how the networks broadcast this draft with it being 100% virtual. You know, the teams are going to be communicating. They've got FaceTime. They've got Zoom. They've got Skype. They have all these different resources at their fingertips. You know, it's going to be kind of a a more of a futuristic type draft. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. You know, you're going to be having uh, none of the facilities are open. So everyone will be essentially networked in from home. So it's really going to be an interesting dynamic, something that we've never seen before. And quite frankly, hopefully we don't ever see again. Uh, you know, COVID-19 is, is very real. And I want to take a moment, you know, the last six podcasts, this will be the seventh in this free agent, um, tour, if you will. Uh, I've really been talking about how I want to continue my podcasts during this time because frankly this is kind of a release for me it's kind of an outlet uh take my mind off of things but also i want it to be something for for everybody as well um really be able to talk about football take our minds off of things really have that outlet to be able to uh, discuss something positive and, and really look forward to the 2020 NFL football season. You know, what that's going to look like, you know, where are we at with social distancing and such, you know, not really sure when is the season going to actually begin. Those are questions that still need to be answered, but you know, I, I want this to be a positive experience. I want to be able to talk about the draft, talk about teams, talk about team needs and really how the free agency uh, has impacted teams and and their draft uh, their draft boards and be able to talk about those things. And I want, the, you know, really want to share my thoughts, my, my input, and hopefully this next hour plus that we're here together, will give you that, that Avenue, that outlet, you know, for at least a little bit of time. So we'll go ahead and jump into things. You know, the, the last few podcasts we've really, it's been a a tour by division of sorts, really taking a look at each each team in the league and taking a look at, okay, what does it look like? What does the roster look like after free agency? And really, how does that impact the draft? So really, we're going through each of the draft picks and you know I've got a seven-round mock draft. And, and so really taking a look at each team's draft picks from, from first, first round all the way through the seventh and, and really take a look at how the the free agent market might have impacted what they're going to be doing in the draft. Obviously there are some big free agent acquisitions, obviously Tom Brady being the first, first and foremost there with the bucks. Uh, But there are other impactful uh, free agent acquisitions. And, and at, at the same time, if one team is gaining a star, then another team obviously is going to be losing one. So what does that do for the team? And how does that impact their focus in the draft? You know, and that's really part of what I want to take a look at and, and really jump into things. And then, okay, so you have a hole. What are you going to do with that draft pick? 
who's going to be the best fit for that. And that's one of the things that, you know, I, I think is so fun about analyzing the draft. I've been putting mock drafts together for, for 20 years, ever since, um, my final year at USC working for the, the Annenberg, uh, school of communications, the, the TV station, Annenberg TV news, given a story projecting where USC's draft eligible prospects would go in the draft Enjoyed that so much, did a mock first round, and really the rest has been history. And you know, I, I watch over 200 games uh, a, a year with with the college football season. Um, and then, you know, after that, I've got all of my notes that I've compiled, and you know, I, I feel like I have a pretty good feel on you know each of the players where I feel that their strengths and weaknesses are, and where they they should be going in the draft, and also you know where would they where where would they logically go, you know, in, you know, in terms of what team and also their their draft stock, you know, in what round? Uh, because it's not just a matter of looking at your board, going, okay, well, this is the number five tackle, and the first four are off the board, so this team's absolutely going to take that number five tackle. It's not necessarily going to be the case. Who's going to be the best fit for that organization? That's really what a lot of what the the front offices are are really determining, getting with their scouts, getting with their coaching staff, getting with uh, the the GM and such, and really sitting down and taking a look at what does a player, you know, what, what are we looking for when we're talking about the Arizona Cardinals? You know, we're going to jump right into the NFC West. That's really what we're talking about here. We've got the NFC West. Next podcast is going to be the AFC West, and then we'll be done with this tour. And then after that, we'll be taking a look at each of the, the positions, kind of do a positional breakdown, um, you know, on where I see players going in the draft, you know, and in terms of my grades, where I see, see guys going and what each position, uh, what to expect, you know, in, in terms of the draft itself. And then my final mock draft, I'll break that down in the last podcast just before the draft. So you look at the Arizona Cardinals, and if you're Steve Kime, if you're Cliff Kingsbury, you know, you're obviously going to be looking at a, a number of things. And I think one of those obviously was going to be a wide receiver. Larry Fitzgerald, you know, the, the ageless wonder, back again for another year, but you know that his time is coming to an end. And, and you know, his his career, his, his Hall of Fame you know, first ballot Hall of Fame career um, is coming to a close. So inevitably, everyone was looking at that number eight overall pick as a, you know, that's going to be a receiver. Absolutely. Why not reunite CeeDee Lamb with his college quarterback in, in Kyler Murray? Makes perfect sense, right? But, you know, I, I looked at this and I said, you know, they, they drafted three wide receivers uh, in, in last year's draft, Andy Isabella, uh, Hakeem Butler, who was injured and now he's back. Uh, Keyshawn Johnson, no, not not uh, uh, ESPN's Keyshawn Johnson, but Keyshawn spelled K E E S E A N. Uh, you know, to go along with Christian Kirk, Larry Fitz coming back. You know, Ceedee Lamb, sure it made sense, but at the end of the day, DeAndre Hopkins kind of fell into their lap. You know, Houston uh, reported, you know, according to ESPN that. DeAndre Hopkins was looking for a raise and ultimately it didn't fit within their budget. And ultimately they traded their running back, traded David Johnson, especially with the emergence of Kenyon Drake. They signed Kenyon Drake and uh, ultimately let 
David Johnson go and there's DeAndre Hopkins in as the you know, really the guy that's going to take over for Larry Fitz there in Arizona. So that kind of tempers the need for a wide receiver. Will they go with another receiver in the draft? It's quite possible, um, but that's not going to be their first round pick. So then you look at it and you say, okay, well, DJ Humphreys is their left tackle. And so are they going to go offensive tackle here? You know, that's going to be the next question. And, you know, what's interesting is, is, um, you know, the first time in quite a while, you know, that DJ Henderson, or I'm sorry, DJ Humphreys was actually able to um, complete an entire season and, uh, you know, was a starter there on the left side. Uh, he signed a three-year, $43 million contract. So he signed through 2022. Um, so DJ Humphreys will be the left tackle. The question is going to be, okay, well, who's manning the right tackle position? And you have Marcus Gilbert on the roster, uh, the 32-year-old, nine-year vet, signed a one-year, uh, $1 million contract. Um, he's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. He's not going to be the long-term answer. And, and you also wonder if he's going to be, you know, can he stay healthy throughout an entire season? And and the reason why I still think Arizona is going to look offensive line is just the fact that they haven't been able to protect the quarterback in Arizona. And that's that's a huge concern. Um, and, and so when you talk Arizona and you talk production there on the offensive line or really lack thereof, um, trying to get that pulled up here. So when you look at the numbers... Cardinals have given up 50 or more sacks in three straight seasons. So this past season, um, obviously the third uh, third in a row, uh, over 50. They finished in a tie for fifth uh, with, with Atlanta and Washington with 50 sacks given up on the dot. And the, the problem with it is, is you've got a young quarterback in Kyler Murray, and you want to be able to protect your investment. You know, Kyler Murray is a guy that uh, is incredibly athletic, and likes to get out on the move, likes to extend plays, likes to manipulate that pocket, and you've got to be able to, to, to take some pressure off of him and really allow him to survey the field and make plays down the football field. And so I absolutely believe that they are going to go with an offensive tackle, and the question is going to be which tackle is going to be available. So the reason why I say that is you know, the Giants are, are a pivotal team in this draft because do they go Isaiah Simmons or do they go with an offensive tackle like Jedrick Wills? Jedrick Wills could fill in and play that right tackle position right away for the Giants. So that's it. That's inevitably if Dave Gettleman looks at that and says, I'm protecting Daniel Jones and I need a guy that's going to be able to block for Saquon Barkley, then Jedrick Wills is going to be that guy. In which case, I think Arizona's looking at either Makai Becton or or Tristan Wirfs. And I'll tell you, I think Tristan Wirfs would be that be that that pick because Tristan Wirfs, um, you know, has has proven to be uh, not only a versatile um, offensive lineman, but he's a guy who can play that right tackle position and played it at a high level with the Hawkeyes. And Makai Becton, more so of a, of a left tackle, sure, you know, a guy his size can thrive at the right tackle position. Look at Phil Lodeholt, who uh, you know played in Minnesota for over a decade. Um, 
So Jedrick Wills, though, if Isaiah Simmons does go to the Giants, and that's what I have projected right now, then I think Jedrick Wills is going to be your guy. And I look at Jedrick Wills, and I think his pass sets were some of the best among the the draft-eligible prospects this year. So quick to fire out of his stance, to meet the rusher at the edge, very light on his feet, making the lateral movement look effortless. Uh, dominated some of the best pass rushers in the SEC, including Daryl Taylor, um, you know, a guy that just, you know, he, he has all kinds of speed coming off the edge, but he just couldn't find a way to to get to that edge versus versus Wills because of that lateral agility. Um, you know, if you ha- get a chance to uh, look that up on on YouTube, absolutely watch uh, some of that footwork. It was it was really impressive. Um, you know, that flexibility as well, maintaining leverage throughout the play. That pad level doesn't creep up on him. There are a lot of linemen that uh, tend to get that pad level a little a little bit too high. When that happens, you you lose leverage and. You know, bad things can happen. You can lose your balance. You can get driven back. Um, you know, you want to be able to to maintain a low center of gravity. Uh, Will's also very powerful. You know, he, he can unlock his hips, provide that initial punch that stuns his man. Um, and once he has him square, he really showcases, like I said, that agility. Looks like a basketball player mirroring the defender. Uh, really calm on on the secondary moves as well, using some subtle movements. Doesn't really overreact. Keeps himself in position. Um, if he is going to get beat in pass protection, it's because he overextends himself. Um, so if he's under control, maintaining a wide base, he can be absolutely dominant. And even if he is beaten, he has the skills to quickly recover. Um, I think Wills also plays with a mean streak in the running game. You know, you see that he's looking to to, to punish guys in his path. Uh, very nasty disposition. Uh, generates a ton of movement on his down blocks. Uh, agile. Balanced in space, locating and locking onto his moving targets, looking to finish on the edge. Um, there was a judo throw that he had on uh, Marlon Davidson uh, of Auburn, getting under his pad level, opening up a, a, a gaping hole for Najee Harris on a six yard touchdown. Now, Wills is just 6'4, you know, unlike Tristan Wirfs, who was 6'5, and Mikai Becton, who's 6'7. Um, you know, he is just 6'4", so he lacks some of the height of a prototypical NFL offensive tackle, but his arm length is over 34 inches, so it definitely makes up for it. So there is some length there. Um, and I think he's just really scratching the surface on his potential. And, you know, I think still learning to pick up blitzes and uh, really learning to um, put everything together. But I think he's a significant upgrade at right tackle, even with Marcus Gilbert, you know, a guy who's been an NFL veteran. Um, but I, I think his health has to be a concern at this point. You know, he's 32 years of age as well. I, I think he's going to be someone who can really take Jedrick Wills under, under his wing and ultimately at some point be able to usher in uh, the Jedrick Wills era there at the right tackle position. And you get two young uh, offensive tackles there in in DJ Humphreys and Jedrick Wills. I think that'd be a nice little combo there uh, because DJ Humphreys himself, he's just 26 years of age, five years in the league. Uh, and again, he's signed through 2022. So you get some continuity there up front on the offensive line. I think things will, will move pretty well there for uh, Arizona. So after they, they get their offensive linemen, then I think Arizona, you know, they may be on the market for a running back. Now I mentioned that the Kenyon Drake, you know, was was re-signed, and uh, you know I thought he had a really a breakout performance. Uh, Kenyon Drake now um, signed through through twenty twenty one. You know, an eight point four million dollar contract, and uh, his play ultimately was what led to David Johnson, um, who after 
you know, a, a big season has kind of been, you know, it, for fantasy owners, you know, I, I know uh, it, it's been a, a bit of a letdown. He had just 94 carries for 345 yards and two touchdowns uh, this past season. Compare that with, with Kenyon Drake, just 123 carries, uh, but he went for 643 yards. That's 5.2 yards per carry and eight touchdowns. So, so Kenyon Drake absolutely is a guy who has some of that explosive speed on the outside. But I think when you look at the roster and you look at the running backs that are currently on the team, they're lacking that power, a powerful running back. You know, Chase Edmonds is a guy who, who uh, you know, is a, a complimentary back, a guy who can catch the football out of the backfield, but he's built a lot like Kenyon Drake. DJ Foster is another guy who could potentially be a wide receiver. Um, you know, he's, he's very athletic and catch the football out of the backfield I want to see a guy that, that they can bring in there that could be more of the hammer uh, than, than anything else and I'm looking at it at AJ Dillon out of Boston College now you're, you're looking at that pick and you're saying wow AJ Dillon um, you know would he really come off the board in uh, let's see in uh, in round number two well no Arizona doesn't have a second round pick, but they do have a third round pick. And, and that's really where I, I think AJ Dillon is going to go at, you know, he's six foot, 247 pounds, you know, the junior out of Boston college, a, a lot of people, they, they talk about, look, the, the bigger backs, especially a guy, you know, he caught just 13 passes this past season, just 21 in his career with the Eagles. Um, but, you know, they talk about, well, the, the bigger running backs, you know that that don't really catch the football. They're kind of a one-trick pony. But I look at at AJ Dillon, and I think that you know this is a tremendous athlete. You know he's a he's a big dude, but you know he he shows that he can run run over you, uh, but he can also run by you as as well. You know he he didn't run the the four the, you know the sub four four forty that everyone was talking about, but still, you know when you're six foot two hundred forty seven pounds, you shouldn't be able to run a fourth. Four five three forty, or uh, showcase a forty-one inch vertical leap. You know this guy has the lower body explosion. He has the ability, you know, in that second gear to get to the to the second level in a hurry. You know this is a guy also in in just three seasons there, um, over forty-three hundred yards in his career, um, and really, you know, he had a tremendous freshman year broke out onto the scene um, over 1500 yards on the ground, fourteen touchdowns, battled a high ankle injury, uh, high ankle. Sprain uh, there in 2018, only played in 10 games, still managed over 1,100 yards and 10 touchdowns. And then as a junior, really rebounded, was sharing the backfield a little bit with David Bailey, uh, who I think is is built just like uh, A.J. Dillon, but nearly 1,700 yards on the ground and 14 touchdowns. I did mention as well the 13 receptions, 15-yard um, per, per catch average as well. Um, so... To me, I look at A.J. Dillon. He's still going to be working on his hands. That's not really what he's known for. But this is a guy I think he'll complement what Kenyon Drake does very well. And then you have uh, Chase Edmonds who can, and D.J. Foster who can really be you know those those guys that you can, can really feature in the passing game. Um, but I think that one-two punch of Kenyon Drake and, and A.J. Dillon, you know, if there's a team or if there's a guy in this draft, if teams are going to be looking to, you know, because it is a copycat league, looking for a running back that's going to be the next Derrick Henry. I think AJ Dillon could potentially be that guy, just big physical guy, but also has tremendous speed. You know, and I think that that underrated speed um, out of this guy, you know, a lot of people talk about, he doesn't have much of a burst. I'd argue that, you know, he does have a burst and, you know, there is one of those things. Is he going to necessarily outrun everybody? Not necessarily, but, 
you know, he, he's got a, he's got a really good burst to the hole. And the thing is, is he's very difficult to bring down in the open field. So I, I think this is a great pick for Arizona, especially in round number three. Um, but those are the only, only two picks in the first two days. So day three starts out and Arizona, I, I think they have to look for a tight end at some point, right. To, to get another target there for, uh, for Kyler Murray sitting there at 114 overall, and uh, you, you know they're going to be looking at a few guys, possibly Hunter Bryant. Um, you know, really, you know, Max Max Williams is on the roster. Uh, Daryl Daniels, Dan Arnold, none of these guys really strike fear. You know, in opposing uh, defenses, I'm looking at Thaddeus Moss, the junior out of out of LSU, 6'2", 250 pounds, the son of Hall of Famer Randy Moss. And you know, the thing with Thaddeus Moss is he's not not the best blocker. But I think what you do see out of him is his ability to uh, to stretch the field vertically up the seam. A guy who has tremendous hands, the catch radius. You saw some really uh, nifty footwork there in, in the in the bowl games uh, along the sideline. Some flexibility, his ability to extend for the football out of bounds and keep his toes in bounds. Um, you know, really looks a lot like his dad out out on the football field after a freshman season there at, at NC State. Transfers to to LSU. And uh, 47 catches, 570 yards, and four touchdowns for Joe Burrow and company there with the Tigers. Battled uh, an, an injury and uh, ultimately wasn't able to compete at the Combine. So, you know, I think that's why his drafts, uh, draft stock drops a little bit. And I think um, with, with Thaddeus Moss sitting there in round number four, I think it makes a ton of sense for Arizona. They have to find a pass catcher. And look, I've got Thaddeus Moss going 114 to the Cardinals and Hunter Bryant 116 to the Jags. I could see these two guys, their their measurables are very similar. You know, I, I think Hunter Bryant, I think highly of him. Over 800 yards receiving. I worry about it the 40 time. Ran in the four sevens. You know, for a guy who's six two, that that is a bit of a concern. But you know, they, these guys look like just bit, you know big buffed up uh, wide receivers that you can really put whether it's in the slot or on the outside create some mismatches. And either one of those guys would make sense for Arizona. Right now, I have Thaddeus Moss penciled in there, but I could also see Arizona drafting Hunter Bryant. Um, either way, they get a tight end. You know, Max Williams really more of a blocker. Um, you know, when he played at, at Minnesota, he was really looked at as a guy who could come in uh, to the NFL and be a pass catcher. And we really haven't seen a whole lot of that. Um, so this would be uh, either Moss or Bryant would be a nice addition uh, to the passing game. So I, I think the, the second pick that they have in round number four, yes, they do have two uh, fourth round picks. Arizona will be drafting uh, 131 overall. Uh, this was a pick that they got from Houston in the David Johnson, uh, DeAndre Hopkins trade. And, uh, you know, if you're wondering what happened to that second round pick, well, if you guess that it was traded to Houston, number 40 overall, you'd be, you'd be correct. So uh, some of those draft picks uh, for this year's draft definitely impacted by that draft as well. Um, so Arizona sitting there in round number four, and I'm looking up front. Now they've got Zach Allen. They've got Corey Peters there at defensive end. Jonathan Buller, Michael Dogba, uh, Trevin Coley. Um, you know, I, I think they need to find another rotational guy, another piece that, that can come in here who has starter potential. And, and that's really what I'm kind of looking for for Arizona with this uh, with this pick. You know, a, a guy who, um, you know, I, I think 
maybe a year or two away from actually starting. And, and because I look at Corey Peters, 10 year veteran, 31 years of age, uh, signed through the 2020 season. He'll be a free agent at the end of the year. Uh, Trevin Coley was signed to a one year deal, um, from, from Indianapolis. So he'll be a, a free agent at the end of the season as well. Um, so there are some question marks there. Um, you know, Zach, Zach Allen, the rookie, uh, from a season ago, um, you know, he's going to be prime, hopefully for a breakout season. Uh, you've got Jonathan Buller, who's going to be a free agent as well. So a lot of uncertainty there at the defensive end position. I'm looking at Jason Strobridge out of North Carolina, 6'4", 275, uh, a guy who I thought played very well at the, at the senior bowl, you know, a guy who I think was overlooked playing there at North Carolina, but a guy, uh, ran a four, uh, eight, nine 40 at the combine, you know, at six, four and 275 pounds, uh, 26 reps at two twenty five in the bench press, uh, also a 31 inch vertical leap. So, you know, a, a guy who showed off some pretty good athleticism and really it was the senior bowl that I think, you know, people really started talking about Jason Strobridge as a guy you know, I, I think he was really thought about as as a mid to late day three guy, not a guy who who could potentially come off the board in round number four. And there are some people that are even talking about him possibly coming off the board sooner than that. Um, you know, Strobridge, you know, it, it was actually a solid career. I mean, you look at the numbers, 22 tackles for loss, 10 and a half sacks, uh, a guy who, you know, played both you know, tackle and, 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 and I think he, he really, because of his, you know, his, his measurables really fits in well as, as a five technique and, you know, his, his athleticism was on display, his, his ability to beat guys off the ball in the one-on-one drills. Um, you know, I, I think this is a, an athlete, a guy that can come in there and challenge for that, that, that starting spot. If Corey Peters is gone at the end of the season, and that's an entire, you know, that is a possibility. You have to prepare for potentially life after Corey Peters, much like you're having to prepare for life after Larry Fitzgerald. Now, um, you know, you bring in a guy like Jason Strobridge, allow him to continue to develop, um, get into an NFL weight room as well, possibly put a little bit more size on him, another 10 to 12 pounds and, and really allow him to uh, flash some of that athleticism there at the defensive end position. And uh, I think you could really have something there with, uh, with Jason Strobridge. So, Sixth round. So you're saying, well, what happened to Arizona in their their fifth round pick? It was actually forfeited. Number 154 overall uh, pick was forfeited. So we're actually moving to round number six. And I'm looking at the safety position. You know, that's one of the things that I, I, I look at them. And they have Buda Baker at free safety. Uh, Jalen Thompson is the, the strong safety right now. Deontay Thompson uh, also on the roster. Uh, Chris Banjo was was brought in as well. But I, I just still think there's some uncertainty on the back end of this defense, and I think they need to, to look at potentially bringing in another strong safety to compete with that group. And, and I'm looking at Miles Dorn out of UNC. Now, now Miles Dorn, the, the thing for, for him, he wasn't invited to the combine, so that was one of the things we weren't really able to see you know, what he could do in terms of some of the athleticism and some of the drills. Uh, but this is a, a very intelligent uh, player there at uh, at the safety position, a, a guy that I've enjoyed watching play over the last four years um, for the, uh, the the Tar Heels, 
And, you know, Arizona sitting there at 203, uh, got the pick from New England. Uh, Dorn is 6'1", 205 pounds. Um, so he has good size. You know, he's a big hitter. Um, you know, like Dominique Ross on the roster on uh, there for UNC as well. You know, a guy that can play in the box. Um, you know, he can play over the top a little bit. He's going to be physical, a big hitter. Um, and, you know, those were two guys I, I thought – I really enjoyed watching play where, where Dorn and, and Dominique Ross um, and, and Ross. I don't know that Ross is going to get drafted, but I definitely think that Dominique Ross is going to uh, get into an NFL training camp and would have a, a great chance at making a roster. Now with, with Dorn, um, you know, six interceptions in his career, 13 pass breakups, uh, had 83 tackles this past season as well. Um, so very active, uh, physical player, uh, excellent size, as I mentioned. So I, I think that would be a, a guy, look, sixth round, really good value there. At be be able to get in a, a guy in there that can compete uh, potentially for uh, a, not only a spot on the roster, but compete for a starting spot down the road. And then finally, I think Arizona does have to consider looking at a at a cornerback. You know, they do have Patrick Peterson. Byron Murphy was brought in as well um, in uh, – through the draft, you know, you're looking at, at Robert Alford, uh, Jalen Davis there at the cornerback position as well. So, I mean, you've got Peterson, you got Murphy, you got Alford. Um, who's really going to be the next guy that's going to step up there in the secondary? And, you know, I, I had to look at, at a few different players here. You know, is seventh round too late to look for a corner? It's entirely possible. They could be using, they could potentially try to trade back up into potentially the second round and, and look for for a, a guy like Cam Dantzler um, there in round number two. But uh, I, I'm looking at a guy at a U, uh, UCF, uh, Neville Clark. Um, I, I think he's got pretty good size. He's 6'1", 190 pounds. Um, so he's got tremendous length. And, uh, you know, look, you know, Central Florida has really been putting a lot of, of players into the league. Um, and so I, I feel pretty comfortable with, with Neville Clark um, coming off the board in round number seven. A guy who has 29 pass breakups, including 24 in the last two seasons, um, you know, five interceptions. So he has tremendous ball skills. And I think that's one of the things that really jumps off off the film when you watch him play. The instincts are absolutely there. Uses his length to his advantage. And so I think for me, I look at him seventh round. Again, they may go corner before then, but I think this would be really good value at this point to to get a guy like like Neville Clark, you know, a guy with the, those type of ball skills. Um, you know, um, you know Robert Alford. He's 31 years of age. He signed through 2021. Uh, signed a three-year, 22 million dollar deal. Um, you know, but Patrick Peterson, he's going to be a free agent after this season. Um, so there there are some questions there. You know, absolutely at the position. And if they don't feel confident that Patrick Peterson is going to be back, you may see Arizona use uh, an earlier pick on that cornerback position. And look, you know, there's no guarantee that Jeffrey Okuda is going to go number three overall to Detroit. If he's sitting there at number eight, if they feel confident that Marcus Gilbert, I'm going to throw this curveball here. If they think that Marcus Gilbert is going to be the guy, you know, to man that right tackle position um, in 2020. Then I think they could bypass a tackle, bypass the receiver because they've got DeAndre Hopkins, and go corner, and go with with Jeffrey Akuda if he's still on the board, or 
C.J. Henderson, I've got him penciled in at number 11. He could fall to number 13 to the to the 49ers, but there's also a chance that C.J. Henderson, because there is a little bit of a drop-off after the top two corners, that Arizona could go with C.J. Henderson at number 8. And then, you know, then you'd have Patrick Peterson and Henderson with Byron Murphy playing in the slot. And then if, if Patrick Peterson moves on at the end of the season, then you've got your, your you still have a lockdown corner there on the outside. And, and so, you know, especially in a division with, with Jared Goff and Russell Wilson and, and Jimmy Garoppolo, you're going to need to have secondary players. So just thinking about that, you know, that's always a possibility you know, and the big question is is whether or not Arizona really feels that uh, Marcus Gilbert is the answer. If he if they feel confident that he's going to be the guy for them at least in 2020, then get your corner, and then you can focus on getting a, a tackle later on. But but look, you know, my thing is is you don't want to be the team that's going to uh, give up 50 sacks for the fourth straight year and have everyone questioning you, going, well, why didn't you take a tackle? You know, when, when when you had the chance, because you don't want to wait in this draft to take a tackle. You can get draft. You can get good value on a corner later on in the draft, but at the tackle position, there are four outstanding tackles, and then I think there's a drop off, and then there are considerable considerable drop offs after that. If you get the chance to get Jedrick Wills, Tristan Wirfs, Makai Becton, or uh, Andrew Thomas, you absolutely take it. And so that's really what I think with Arizona. You know, if Arizona look, they could end up going C.J. Henderson and then trade back up to get one of those tackles. Um, you know, I think they probably have to give up. You know, there, there's not a whole lot of draft capital in this year's draft, so they may be looking at 2021 draft stock if they wanted to get both a corner and a, a tackle in this uh, in this year's draft. So, lots to really think about there. I think at the end of the day, Jedrick Wills is still going to be that pick for Arizona. So. Moving on from there, who has the next highest draft selection? Well, it would have been Seattle, except for the fact that San Francisco traded to Forrest Buckner, traded the uh, the leader of that ferocious front four, that formidable front four of uh, of Bosa, Buckner, Armstead, and Ford. Uh, so they they trade him away. They get the number thirteen overall pick and. You know, I think with San Francisco, they're targeting one of two players. You know, honestly, I think with this, and I think it really depends on what the Jets do at number eleven. You look at the receiver position, and uh, you know they've got Debo, Debo Samuel, absolutely a, a home run pick there in the second round a season ago. Uh, but then you have Kendrick Bourne, Marquise Goodwin, Dante Pettis, Richie James, a lot of the same receiver to be perfectly honest. You know, there's Jalen Hurd, who's a bigger wide out, but they really are lacking that number one wide receiver. And you'll say, well, Debo Samuel, isn't he a number one? I feel like Debo Samuel's more of a complimentary receiver. I think they need to get a guy in there that's going to be a true number one wide out and be that target for Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that uh, Jerry Judy makes a lot of sense there for San Francisco. I th- I honestly believe that CeeDee Lamb is going to... Um, going to the Raiders there at number 12. So the Jets, really the biggest question mark, because you have Robbie Anderson leaving, there's a huge hole uh, there, and they need a number one wide out there for Sam Darnold. The thing is, though, is they also brought in Brashad Perriman. And so the question is, is 
is the addition of Perriman to the group with, you know, with, with Jamison Crowder and Quincy and Nunwa, um, you know, is this going to be enough for the Jets to look at a different position because, you know, and look at the cornerback position because you have Tremaine, um, Tremaine Robinson is, is uh, uh, I'm sorry, Tremaine Johnson is gone. So Tremaine Johnson's gone. Derek Roberts was let go as well. So you really need a lockdown corner. You brought in Pierre Desir, who really had a, a you know a emerging career there in Indianapolis. And so you bring him in. He's going to start on one side, but you still need that lockdown corner. And so is it Jerry Judy? If they do go Jerry Judy, then I think this pick is going to be uh, C.J. Henderson, the corner out of Florida. And we talked about him potentially even going to Arizona. Um, but I, I'm looking at the Jets, and I think the Jets go C.J. Henderson, which would then mean this pick would be uh, Jerry Judy. But you know, why would this pick potentially be C.J. Henderson? Well, you've got Richard Sherman, uh, who's getting you know he's getting up there, you know, getting a little long in the tooth. You've got uh, Akella Witherspoon battling some injuries. Um, you know, you, you've got Emmanuel Mosley who played well in the playoffs. Um, but they, they need some they need some help there at the cornerback position. They they need to to get some depth at the position. And and look, you know, Richard Sherman at 32 years of age, gonna be a free agent at the end of the season. Um, you know, Kella Witherspoon also gonna be a free agent at the end of the season. Um, if they get a corner at number 13, then that really helps kind of take care of things and solidify solidify things at the position. With CJ Henderson off the board then I think they have to go receiver at, at this point. I think that that really makes a ton of sense to me. And, uh, you know, with, with the Niners and, and, and Jerry Judy, what you're getting there is uh, a receiver who absolutely can run, you know, he's a tremendous uh, route runner. I think that's one of the things that you absolutely see. You know, Judy was was more of the, the volume catcher for the Tide, uh, which really allowed Ruggs, uh, Henry Ruggs III to be the, the big play threat down the field. Uh, and Devontae Smith step up as well as a big playma- uh, playmaker as well. Uh, Judy was the one that burst onto the national scene as a sophomore for Tua uh, as a big play threat. Uh, 68 catches, over 1,300 yards, 14 touchdowns, won the Bolitnikoff Award. And then really as a junior, he allowed Ruggs and Devontae Smith to shine and uh, you know kind of took a back seat, if you will. And I think that may have hurt his draft stock a little bit because everyone was talking about him as a potential top five pick. And, and now we're talking about him somewhere in the, in the 10 to 15 uh, range as a result. Uh, Judy, though, man, you watch me so sudden off the line. I mean, he, he separates so quickly from the defenders. Um, he can get re- rerouted by some of the, the bigger physical corners, but he has that sp- straight line speed to really run by the press corners, eats up the cushion of the corner plane and off coverage in a hurry. Acceleration is so explosive, uh, allows him to run away from defenders after the catch, but really it, it is that route running, as I mentioned. And, and really with that, um, you know, you look at, at him – that's what makes him an elite prospect. You know, he, he understands leverage, does a really good job stemming defenders away from, um, away before making his break, creating that separation in the process. Very fluid hips, allows him to transition effortlessly without any wasted movement. He offers uh, really sharp, precise cuts, and his speed through those cuts put a lot of pressure on the, on the DB as well. Uh, you can't allow a free release for Judy, so defenders must get physical with him off the ball try to get him to to uh, to reroute. And, and the other thing, too, is he struggles at times with tracking the football. 
doesn't always make the necessary adjustments when the ball's in the air and can have issues with some contested catches. And I think the biggest thing, though, are some of the easy drops in the open field. He just has to eliminate those. But I think he is a wide receiver one at the next level, can play inside and outside. Um, you know, really a guy that can stretch the 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 field vertically and you know for the 49ers they add him to a receiving core with uh with Debo Samuel I think that's not a nice pair um you know I, I just you know it's one of those things you look at the team you know George Kittle second straight thousand yard season um you know Debo Samuel was the only wide receiver with at least 40 receptions and 800 yards um you know they you know Emmanuel Sanders was the the third leading receiver. He's not on the roster anymore. He's in uh, New Orleans now. So they they can't just roll with Kendrick Bourne, Dante Pettis, and Richard James. Uh, I'm sorry, Richie James opposite Samuel. I think Jerry Judy's going to be this guy unless C.J. Henderson is on the board. Then I think they go corner. And so what ends up happening is the 49ers also have pick number 31 overall because, hey, they were the uh, NFC champions and uh, got to play in the Super Bowl against the, the Kansas City Chiefs. So they have that 31st overall pick. And I think if it does go corner at number 13, and then I think they're sitting there at number 31. I'm looking at Michael Pittman Jr. out of USC, over 1,200 yards uh, through the air, led the Pac-12 in receiving, and uh, 101 receptions. But look, I, I think you put on that Utah tape, you see how he dominated those corners, ate up. You know, you couldn't get physical with him off the line, couldn't reroute him. Uh, a guy who can make plays down the field, the 50-50 balls adjust to the football in the air, late separation with you know kind of extending that arm out, and then leaping away from the defensive back, creating that separation, allowing him to go up and make a play on the football, and then just so physical after the catch. When you have a receiver who, frankly, teams had to game plan around and really built their game plan around taking away Michael Pittman Jr. When you have Tyler Vaughns, when you have Andre uh, Amonra St. Brown, and you have Drake London all on the roster as well, they were more worried about Michael Pittman Jr. than anybody else. That to me, you know, says, you know, this guy's a stud. And I think his physicality, his ability to go up and, and get the football, I think he, he could be an absolute stud. And I think he complements Debo Samuel very well. So I, I think if CJ Henderson is the pick there for the Niners at number 13, then I think this pick is going to be Michael Pittman Jr. It fe- it just feels right. But if Jerry Judy you know, and the way that I have it shaped up right now, if Jerry Judy is going to be the pick at number 13, then I think what the Niners are doing, I don't think that taking a corner at 31 overall makes any sense, you know, because I think you're, you're really stretching at that point. I think um, you have four corners who are going to be first round picks in, in Akuda and Henderson, uh, Travon Diggs out of Alabama, and then Christian Fulton of LSU. Any of the other corners, I think you'd just be reaching. So what I'm actually looking at is the interior of that offensive line. Now, now hear me out with this. Uh, you know, uh, Weston Richburg, the center, is coming off a torn patellar tendon injury, and you know his backup Ben Garland was re-signed. Um, you know he's now 32 years of age, though, uh, only under contract for one more year. Uh, even if Richburg, uh, Richburg can start. Uh, the right guard position is also going to need attention because Mike Person was released and Tom Compton was brought in on a one-year deal as well to battle Daniel Brunskill uh, for the starting spot. 
I, I, I look at Cesar Ruiz out of Michigan, you know, 6'3", 307, a player of his versatility, but the experience of both center and guard makes a lot of sense. I mean, Ruiz, as a freshman, played in 10 games, starting at, you know, five games at right guard uh, for the Wolverines, slid over to the pivot where he started the next 26 games for the Wolverines. Um, you know, very technically sound athlete, um, always working to the whistle, always seems like he's, he's looking for, you know, looking to make a block. Head always on a swivel. Um, you know, he, he bends well uh, at the knees. You, know, you see the flexibility in his hips. Fires off the ball, low pad level. And, and when he maintains leverage, very effective on his seal blocks, uh, getting those hips around in a hurry to open up a, a hole for the back. And if you watch him play, um, you know, as I said, the head on a swivel, uh, but it's the agility. You know, it makes him a perfect candidate to be a lead blocker, gets to the second level in a hurry, always very much under control to make contact and lock on to the moving target. Whenever Ruiz gets his hand on the defender, he's looking to finish the blocks in the most devastating way possible. And in pass protection, fires out of a stance in a hurry after, uh, after the snap, um, you know, in pass protection, shoots his hands under the interior lineman's pad level, uh, does a great job with that initial punch at the point, maintains active feet. Those feet are always working. Um, you know, has uh, lateral agility to to mirror defenders effortlessly uh, on the inside as well. Um, if he can get his hands on the defender early, he can sustain those blocks to the whistle. But the issue is, is he doesn't always win with his hands at the point. Susceptible to that quick pass rush moves off the ball. Uh, will get overextended at a time, get a little too far over his feet, lose leverage, and uh, that'll cause him to get driven back. But he's definitely the best interior lineman in this year's draft. And I think he can start immediately for the Niners, whether it's at guard or center. There's a need at both positions there for the 49ers. And so, look, if if they go receiver at number 13, I think you're looking at uh, Cesar Ruiz here at number 31 overall. So a lot of moving pieces. You know, you can see you know the Giants and their selection could potentially influence what the Arizona Cardinals do at number 8. And then the Jets at number 11, whatever they do is going to influence the 49ers sitting there at number 13 and then again at number 31. So, you know, I think you have to have those backup plans. You have to have your board and stay true to your board when you're looking at this and really understanding what you're dealing with. Now, San Francisco, you know, here's here's the deal. They may end up reaching, you know, for a, a corner earlier in that draft. And you'll say, well, well, why would they do that? You just said that there isn't a cornerback that's necessarily worthy of that. Uh, that selection. Well, San Francisco, if you look at them in the third round, um, they, they traded the pick to Denver. Um, and then on, on day three, day three, they don't have a pick in the fourth round. Why? Well, that pick uh, went to Jacksonville, number 137 overall. So they don't actually pick again until the fifth round. And you know, San Francisco, they, they're not going to stay quiet. I think they're probably going to try to work back into uh, you know either the second or third round and, and look for a corner. You know, I'm looking at uh, if they look second round, I could see them trying to trade back into the second round to get Jalen John- um, Johnson out of Utah. I think that'd be a nice selection. Um, AJ Terrell, potentially, you know, another guy who has size. I'm looking at uh, Michael Ojemudia out of uh, Iowa. Um, if you got to watch him at the Senior Bowl, the way that he was able to reroute a bigger physical wideout like Chase Claypool, who's 6'4", 238 pounds. Um, I thought that was impressive. So you're looking at these guys, and I, I think any one of them could have a home in San Francisco. My mock draft 
is not going to try to predict any any trades. Um, so I'm just going based on the on the draft board as it's presented to uh, itself. But I think the 49ers, if they don't go with a corner in round number one, they're going to trade back into uh, into day two and land one of those corners, potentially even Bryce Hall. Uh, Bryce Hall. You know, look, he was a year removed from having just a tremendous season with 21 pass breakups, then uh, has the gruesome leg injury um, after six games. And, uh, you know, he's kind of the forgotten guy. You could potentially, you know, if he his draft stock slides, you might be able to get him at a, at a decent, decent bargain. Um, but I, I mentioned that the Niners are, are as it stands, um, have a, a couple of fifth round picks. And sitting at 157, um, one of two two spots here. And, you know, I, I looked at potentially, okay, Isang Bassi um, out of Wake Forest, but he's just 5'9". He's more of a, a slot guy. Uh, Lavert Hill, Grayson Arnold, more guys that are going to be playing in the slot. Um, so I, I don't really think that San Francisco is actually going to look for a corner at 157. Sounds kind of weird, I know, because that's really their next need, but I'm actually looking at a tight end. And and one of the things with that tight end position, you have George Kittle on the roster. And look, George Kittle you know, is, a, is an all-pro tight end and really been uh, having a, you know, the last two years have been tremendous, just really breakout seasons for him. Uh, but behind him, you got Ross Dwelly, Daniel Helm, not much really to speak of in terms of that tight end position. And if you remember a season ago, you know, Foster Moreau out of LSU, more of a, you know, known as a blocker there at LSU, really wasn't featured as a pass catcher, but the athleticism was on display at the combine. And he actually had a pretty good year there for, uh, for the Raiders. And look, you know, George Kittle was not used as a, as a big time pass catcher there for Iowa. If you'll remember, ran a four, six or I'm sorry, a four, five at the combine and really just blew everybody's socks off. Everyone watched George Kittle through all the drills and, uh, you know, that fifth round pick, obviously now an all pro tight end, one of the best picks that the 49ers have made, um, in the last few seasons. But, I'm looking for another guy that could be a potential, you know, Foster Moreau, a tight end that can come in and really surprise. And I'm looking at Dalton Keene out of Virginia Tech, 6'4", 245 pounds, ran a 4'7", at the combine. So really better athleticism than you would expect. Um, his three cone drill ran a 707. You know, and so, you know, in terms of, of the context there, that's second fastest among the tight ends to Adam Troutman. Um, a lot of people think that Troutman's going to end up being a, a second round pick. I have him going uh, in, in the third round to uh, New England. I thought that he just looked a little, a little stiff, you know, and straining through some of those drills. Um, you know, and he ran a 4840 as well. But uh, definitely, you know, has some lower body explosiveness and some good agility. Um, so there is a chance he can end up being a, a, a second rounder. Um, but when you also look at it as well, the, the, the short shuttle ran a 419 short shuttle, which was fastest among all the tight ends. So, you know, it's not a, a, a real deep crop of tight ends. But if you're looking for one of those sleepers, I think Dalton King can absolutely, absolutely be that guy. I had him penciled in as more of kind of your H-back type of guy, a guy who's going to be a blocker. But he has sneaky good 
uh, athleticism and sneaky good hands. Foster Moreau was that for the Raiders and, uh, you know, actually looked like, hey, the Raiders have something here. And, uh, you know, I just, I think of George Kittle and I'm not saying that Dalton, uh, Dalton Keene's going to be the next George Kittle by any means either. But I, just, I think about some of these tight ends, guys that were used primarily as blockers, not really featured in the passing game. And they turn out to be really good athletes. And so that's why I'm looking at Dalton Keene saying, you know what? I could see Kyle Shanahan looking to try to see if he can capture lightning in a bottle a second time at that tight end position. So I think that'd be um, a pick for Dalton Keene. And look, you could probably still get Dalton Keene with their second pick in uh, in round number five, uh, all the way down at number 177 overall. But I'm actually looking at a kid out of Tulsa. He's 6'1", 205, Reggie Robinson the second. And I look at Robinson the second because... You know, I, I believe that you know he has some of those ball skills. A guy that nobody's really talking about, but a guy who has has tremendous size, and I, I think that's one of the things. I'm sorry, not Reggie Robinson, Reggie uh, Reggie Roberson. Um, no, I'm sorry. Not why can't I bring him up? You know, the ball skills are what's really evident here, more than anything else, and I'm having issues with my computer here. But Reggie ran a 4-4-4-40 at the combine, bench press 225, 22 times, 36-inch vertical leap, uh, a 709 uh, three-cone drill as well, so among the fastest there in that group. So uh, the athleticism is absolutely there for, um, for, for Reggie. And... I can pull up his stats, his stat line. That's really what I'm trying to get at. And my computer is not allowing me to pull him up. There he is. There we go. Ah, it's because they have him down as Reginald Robinson. But in any event, we take a look at the at the the numbers, and a kid, you know, there out of Tulsa, and uh, 34 pass breakups in his career, including 13 this past season, uh, three interceptions on the year as well. Um, you know, a, a guy who has the ball skills, he has good length, can be physical with with corners uh, or with receivers, can jam him at the at the line of scrimmage. Um, I, I look at Reggie Robinson, and it, he just feels like a guy that belongs there in San Francisco, you know, and so even if the Niners go with a, a corner early on, I think this could still be a guy uh, in round five that could end up wearing that 49er uniform when it's all said and done. Um, looking at San Francisco after that, uh, looking at the sixth round and, and really, you know, in, in round number six, I'm looking at this team and you know you've got Quan Alexander, you have Fred Warner and you have Dre Greenlaw there at the at the linebacker position and they're really holding down that group. Um, you know, tremendous group of, of young linebackers. They've done a really good job with with their draft uh, bringing in these these players. Uh, you know, Fred Warner signed through through the 2021 20, season, um, really emerged as one of the leaders of the defense. Dre Greenlaw really filled in for Quan Alexander this past season and a tremendous athlete. He was a rookie um, 
this past season. And then Quan Alexander, he, he's back. He's only 25 years of age. He's signed through 2022 as well. I'm looking at the depth behind him. There really isn't a whole lot there. And uh, the, the, the linebacker that I'm thinking of, could also fill in at the safety position. You know, he he's done that in his career with the Michigan Wolverines. Um, you know, you've got Jaquiski Tart, you've got Jimmy Ward, who was brought back uh, to various uh, more also in there at the safety position. Got a little bit of playing time uh, in the playoffs and and you know showed out pretty well. Uh, but I'm looking at Kalik Hudson out of out of Michigan. I think sixth round. Um, is probably in the area that he's going to come off the board. Um, kind of an undersized outside linebacker, but a guy who flies around to the football. That's one of the things that I can absolutely say. Um, he's a guy, if you want to know where the football is going to be, just watch him fly around to it. 5'11", 224 pounds, ran a 4'5", 640 um, you know, at, the, at the combine, put up 225 30 times. So when you talk about you know the, the, the power, he absolutely has that. Uh, 33-inch vertical leap as well. Um, you know, not you know overly explosive. You know, and you worry about you know a linebacker. You know, at 5'11", 224, is he going to be too tightly wound? Um, is it, you know making him too stiff to move in coverage? But I think he's a guy who absolutely has that range. Um, and like I said, started off his career in Michigan as a as a safety. And look, as a sophomore, you know, uh, 77 tackles. Uh, with 16 tackles for loss, seven and a half sacks, two interceptions, and nine pass breakups. I mean, just really a phenomenal season. Um, transitioned to the linebacker position in 2018, and really was it was kind of a learning experience for him. But you know I, what I thought was so impressive is makes that transition year two at that linebacker position. 101 tackles, uh, three tackles for loss, had a, a sack and a half on the year, three pass breakups as well. So didn't really duplicate things in terms of uh, the production there. But he was asked to do you know a lot of different things. You know, and he was a guy that was playing more sideline to sideline, scraping over the top against run plays. Um, you know, a, a guy that you know he had Cameron McGrone. Um, I'm sorry, McGrone. Um, you know, playing in inside, you had Josh Uche rushing the quarterback off the edge. Aiden Hutchinson, the, the defensive end, I think is going to be a stud as well. Um, but number seven was just one of those, he was just that calming presence out there on the field. You always knew what you were going to get with Khalid Hudson. You were going to see that effort uh, coming from him, uh, playing and play out. And, uh, you know, he's just a guy that to me, you know, that, the thing that is is so beautiful about the 49ers with the way that they draft their linebackers, I look at Dre Greenlaw and a guy that wasn't really you know, overly hyped coming out of Arkansas last year, and uh, he got his chance and, and stepped up in a big way. And I think that Khalid Hudson has a has a chance to do the same. So San Francisco, they have two picks in round number seven, and I'm looking at, at the defensive tackle position for one. Um, and the reason being, I mean, it's really obvious when you lose a guy like uh, DeForest Buckner, you need to find uh, the, the tackle position. Solomon Thomas, Eric Armstead, probably going to be in there at, at defensive tackle, um, but they need depth behind him. You know, you're looking at DJ Jones, uh, Kevin Givens, Willie Henry, uh, Julian Taylor. So those are some of the names, you know, behind Thomas and, and Armstead. Um, there's a chance that Armstead can end up playing end. But you know, if you want to move him outside to the end position, really he and D Ford can can kind of uh, trade off uh, a little bit because I think D Ford can be a situational pass rush guy and isn't going to necessarily be a an every down type of performer. Um, 
you know, you're going to have to find another another defensive tackle. And uh, this could be another area where they end up looking to try to trade back into the draft uh, to get their, their D tackle. But if they stay where they're at, I'm looking at Khalil Davis out of Nebraska. You know, and you know, you're, I think the 49ers want to find guys who can be explosive up front. And Khalil Davis, look, he ran a 47540, uh, measuring in at 61308 at the combine. Um, also bench pressed uh, 225, 32 times. Uh, so a, wor- a bit of a workout warrior. You know, Nebraska struggled to defend the run. And so you have him and, and his brother Carlos and uh, Darian Daniels, all of whom were there at the draft, all actually ran really well. Davis ran a 4.82. Daniels at uh, 6.3, 311, ran a 5.18. So a lot of really athletic guys there up front, and they still couldn't stop anyone. So that's one of the things that, has to be part, you know, has to be cause for concern. But I'm looking at Khalil Davis. I look at that athleticism. That's the fastest time I believe by a defensive tackle, and uh, especially a guy with with uh, with his size over 300 pounds. But uh, he has some ability to to be an interior pass rusher, and I think that's one of the things that teams have to covet. Um, you know, he's not much of a not much of a, a guy there against the run, but I, I don't think he has to be. I think he can be a rotational player, especially if you're getting him uh, in the later rounds, like you are. Um, you know, had 11 tackles for loss and eight sacks in, in 2019 as a senior with the with the Cornhuskers. I think you know that that eight sacks. You know, he he ramped it up from from two as a sophomore, three as a junior, to eight sacks, showing that he can really you know when he he was an every down guy. There in in Nebraska in Lincoln, you know, he was able to produce, able to shoot gaps, able to make plays on the quarterback, and so I, I think that interior pass rush ability is something that the Niners could use there uh, at defensive tackle. And then I'm looking at safety, and I mentioned you know what you had there with uh, with Kalik Hudson, and I think the versatility between the linebacker and safety can play multiple positions, but I, I think. They, they still go with another safety as well. Um, just because, you know, Jaquiski Tart was battling injury. Jimmy Ward, there was question about whether or not he would be brought back. I'm looking at Josh Metellus out of Michigan, a guy who I think can play both safety positions. Uh, 14 pass breakups, five interceptions in his career, 186 tackles for the Wolverines. Just really a, a steady performer for them. Not really a spectacular guy, but you know, a guy who did his job. I think if he were to make the team there, um, in in San Francisco, he'd be primarily a special teams performer at least early on. Um, you know, five eleven, two oh nine, ran a four five five forty at the combine, thirty six and a half inch vertical leap as well. Um, pretty decent athlete, um, and, and I think you know, like I said, not the most spectacular performer, just a, a steady performer, a guy who's going to do his job and do it well. Um, you know, it just, it feels like a guy that you can draft late and really be that special teams performer on your roster. I think that's ultimately why uh, Metellus, whether it's with the, the 49ers or another team, I think he ends up making a roster because he can make plays on special teams. So that'll take care of the the 49ers, and we're going to go ahead and take a look at at Seattle, the Seahawks, and really what are what are the Seahawks going to be doing here with with their picks, and and I think a lot really rides on whether or not um, Jadavion Clowney gets drafted. I think that's really the big question mark that is kind of weighing on everybody's mind is what what is Jadavion Clowney going to do? And I think you know the longer that he stays a free agent, I think the more inclined. You know, everyone is to believe that Clowney's going to end up back in Seattle. I think his 
His his price tag was over 20 million. It's dropped to 17 to 18 million according to ESPN. And if it continues to 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 drop, I think at some point Seattle ends up pulling the trigger and they end up bringing him in. If not, I'm looking at Yitro Gross Matos. Um, you know his his name ha- is penciled all over Seattle here. Um, and the reason why is they need pass rush help. They did bring in Bruce Irvin. Um, but after that, you know, you've got LJ Collier really was kind of non-existent. You know, that was their first round pick from a season ago, uh, Rasheem green, uh, up front. And, uh, you know, he was, uh, drafted out of USC a couple of years ago. You know, a guy that, you know, is not a, not the most explosive pass rusher. He's more of a guy that's going to beat you with technique and power. Uh, than anything else, you need to get some speed off the edge. And even bringing in, you, know, you brought in Clowney. He had just three and a half sacks. Uh, Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel Zigianza signed to a one-year deal, just managed two and a half sacks. He's not coming back. Um, so even though you draft LJ Collier, you still need a pass rusher, uh, especially considering you had just 28 sacks in, in, in 2019. That's just not going to cut it. You know, um, the 26th ranked defense, you know, was really what let the led let the Hawks down. You know, if you're talking about Seattle, you know, 11 and five record. Um, even though Seattle couldn't catch San Francisco atop the NFC West, still got to to the playoff berth for the eighth time in the last 10 seasons. And Russell Wilson, look, he did his thing on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but that 26th ranked defense really is cause for concern. Um, I, I think if they don't go LJ Collier, you could potentially, I'm, I'm sorry, they don't go defensive end um, and, and go Yitro Gross Matos. Um, they did resign uh, Jaron Reed. You have Puna Ford there at the nose, uh, but they could potentially go with a guy like Ross Blacklock, um, a, a twitched up uh, defensive tackle. I think that makes some sense there for them um, as an interior uh, pass rusher. But, uh, you know, and looking also, look, that defense, it was kind of painfully obvious, you know, that uh, the Legion of Boom is gone. Uh, No longer will they be patrolling the back end of that defense. Seattle's pass rush or pass defense, 27th against the pass. Uh, Shaquille Griffin locked in as one corner. uh, But you look at Trey Flowers, a converted safety. Um, He might have the size and length that uh, Pete Carroll and and John Schneider look for, but he's more of a complimentary piece. Um, You know, he was a, he, he was a converted safety. I mean, and that's one of the things I think he's still learning the position. Um, kind of reminds me a lot of, of what Quentin Dunbar was doing there. He converted from a receiver to a, to the cornerback position. And he's a guy that they traded for. And uh, I think bringing Dunbar in, it may not keep them from drafting a guy like Trevin Diggs if he falls, but I think it'll temper it enough to where they can look elsewhere. So what if I told you that the health of Russell, Russell Wilson uh, should actually outweigh all of these defensive needs. Now, Seattle gave up 48 sacks and allowed 111 quarterback hits, which was the fourth highest in the league in 2019. And to make matters worse, you lose George Fanton free agency, your right tackle, uh, which really leaves the, the newly acquired duo of Cedric Abwehi and Brandon Shell to replace him. Do you feel confident? How about left tackle Dwayne Brown is going to be 35 years of age, uh, at the start of the season, is only under contract to through 2021. Do you feel confident now? I think what's going to end up happening is Seattle's going to address this position early in the draft, and I'm looking at Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State. Ascending prospect, you know, and I think it's really thanks in large part to his athleticism. Uh, you know, Cleveland came to Boise State as an all-state all defensive lineman, um, 
also was a, a, a high school wrestler, so he has that background. After he redshirted in 2016, um, went on to start 40 games for, for the Broncos, uh, two-time first-team All-Mountain West selection as well. And it doesn't take long when you put the film on just to see how light on his feet he is. Um, he's really quick out of his stance uh, to get into his pass sets and uh, you know, plays with not only excellent knee bend, but also remains upright. I think that's one of the things that you see. You know, you don't see him leaning at the waist or anything like that. He plays upright, and that ability allows him to to move laterally and really stay light on his feet, um, stays on the balls of his feet, and really just moves with tremendous balance. Um, you know, he, he's very quick laterally, like I said in his kick slide with short choppy steps. Uh, looks like a typewriter out there with a boom, 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 boom getting to the edge, beating the, the edge rusher to the edge. His initial strike with his hands is quicker um, with excellent uh, hand placement under the rusher's uh, pad level. Does a really good job he- keeping his hands active, really active hands, um, keeping that defender in front, working to drive his man up the field and away from the pocket. Awareness is also apparent, often making some subtle movements so his right or left to pick up the blitzing linebacker or defensive back. Um, but he's a finesse guy. Um, you know, he lacks the power in his lower body to anchor or generate any movement, which is really surprising given that he was able to rep out 225 31 times at the combine. So he's got the upper body strength, but really, you know, we need to make sure that he doesn't skip leg day. Um, so he needs to get into an NFL weight room and really solidify that, that lower body strength. That lack of power is keeping him from being that elite tackle at this point. Um, so, you know, his pad level does seem to get too high at times in the run game, which will also take away his effectiveness in generating movement. Again, proof that he's much more confident uh, and comfortable in pass protection, but the movement skills can be used in the running in the running game, especially climbing to the second level. Fluid movement allows him to pick up defenders, pick them off in the open field, has the quick hips to seal off his man to allow the running back to cut off of his block as well. So look, he's, he's far from a finished product. He came out as a junior, could have come back as a senior, and really uh, hit the weight room and could have been you know an, an early pick in... Uh, in the 2021 draft, obviously, Panay Sewell is the number one offensive tackle. You have Alex Leatherwood as well. But he could have been one of those guys right in that conversation. Um, but he, he's still one of the more athletically gifted offensive tackles in this draft. And I think he he could potentially man the right tackle position um, in 2020 and then take over for Dwayne Brown. Um, you know, that he, He's starting to get a little long in the tooth. You look at that 35 years of age. A little bit of a, of a concern. Could potentially end up being a cap casualty as well at the end of the season. So I think adding Ezra Cleveland does make a lot of sense. A lot of people have Josh Jones out of Houston going here. I actually think that Josh Jones will be a better fit in Tennessee at the right tackle position. I just I feel like, like Ezra Cleveland can go in there in Seattle and really usher in a new beginning there at the left tackle position. I think Dwayne Brown, um, his days will ultimately be numbered there in Seattle on the left side. But like I said, Ezra Cleveland could potentially be a right tackle to start and then shift over to left tackle whenever Seattle does decide to move on from Dwayne Brown. So Seattle, round number two. They have two picks in round two, and I think they they look to shore up what I was talking about there up front. Um so I think that first pick, I'm looking at, at Julian Aquara out of uh, out of Notre Dame, 6'4", 252 pounds. You know, he, he battled some injuries, which was why, you know, I think it was a tibia fracture um, that ultimately kept him out of the remainder of the season for the Irish and uh, also was not able to compete at the Combine. 
But uh, Aquara, look, he's he's more of the the speed rusher to uh, his brother uh, Romeo, who was more of the um, you know could potentially be a five technique and more of a power guy. Uh, Aquara, look. You know, he's known for, for getting off the edge. You know, 24 tackles for loss, 15 and a half sacks, uh, and four forced fumbles in his career. I like him because of his his length, his athleticism, his ability to get to the quarterback. You know, he doesn't always get home. And so when you look at those numbers, you're like, wow, you know, he only, uh, you know, this past season in in nine games had five sacks. But that also doesn't count you know the the number of times that he was able to pressure the quarterback get a hit on the quarterback and really affect uh affect you know affect the play a lot of times he's coming off the edge and would able to steer his man or steer the quarterback into Khalid Kareem who ultimately was able to make a play on the outside um you know the Kareem playing uh the opposite defensive end so I, I look at Okora you know he has tremendous length as well I think that's one of the things that jumps off 34 over 34 inch arms I put up 225 27 times as well so he's got some some good upper body strength to him as well as a as an outside rusher. Uh, you know, when he's 6'4", 252, he's kind of that tweener. Could be a 4'3 defensive end, put his hand in the ground, could also play as a stand-up defensive end. I think he he's one of those guys who will offer some versatility there for Seattle. And then Seattle at the end of the round, end of round two, 64 overall, got the pick from Kansas City. I'm looking at Neville Gallimore out of Oklahoma, 6'2", 304, uh, and this is a guy who's known for his his quick first step. I think that's one of the things that you see with him firing off the ball, quick swim move off the ball to beat the center off, um, off the ball. And uh, with, with Gallimore, you know, measures in, again, 6'2", 304, ran a 4'7", 40. Um, so again, tremendous burst, a guy who can really fire off the ball in a hurry. Um, not overly quick when it came to the, the three cone drill and, uh, and the short shuttle, but, uh, that's not going to be his game. He's going to be a guy who's going to look to, to shoot gaps, uh, quick penetrator guy that can get into the backfield and make plays early on the football, 17 tackles for loss and, and eight and a half sacks in his career. A guy who just progressively got better and better, you know, with his skill set, trying to get after the quarterback. Um, so I think end of round two would be nice value there. And a guy that look, Jaron Reed was, was re-signed. He has some pass rush ability on the interior of that line. Puna Ford's more of your, your anchor there at nose tackle. I think, you know, Neville Gallimore would give them really good depth at the position depth that they're obviously really sort lacking so you address everything up front so then you're looking at at that secondary and i'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball here in round three i'm looking at kenny robinson out of uh west virginia more notably uh the xfl and the the st louis Battlehawks. Uh, Kenny Robinson is a guy, look, he's already been able to put some game film together uh, in a professional setting, and uh, he played well. Played well for for St. Louis, was really one of the playmakers and one of the leaders there uh, on the back end of that that. Uh, that defense. And uh, West Virginia, look, you know, um, in two seasons, 123 tackles, um, you know, had seven interceptions, uh, two of which he returned for touchdowns, seven pass breakups as well. Um, so, Tremendous athlete, tremendous length as well. Um, again, 6'2", 200 pounds. And uh, when you look at, at Seattle, you know, you're asking, well, do they need a safety? You know, they've got Quandre Diggs at one at the free safety position, but I think Kenny Robinson can come in there. They've got Bradley McDougald. I, I just don't see that being the see him being the guy. Marquise Blair is also there. 
But I think, you know, bringing it in, Kenny Robinson, having some of that professional experience, I think he has a leg up over some of the other guys. I feel that, you know, he really fits that mold. He could potentially play the cornerback position as well. I think he has some of that versatility to him. Um, I think that would actually be a good pick in round number three. Um, could they go corner here? I think it's entirely possible. Um, you know, so this is a pick that might be a little bit out of out of left field, uh, especially when you're looking at, uh, I have to go into my, my fourth round. Uh, you know, there's Darnay Holmes out of UCLA that, that's going to be sitting there. Um, you know, but not really any corners that have size that'd be of, of the right value in round number three. So uh, if you look at, at round two and their, their picks in round number two, um, AJ Terrell, if he's on the board and I have him actually on the board when, when they draft Julian Aquara at 59, um, AJ Terrell could potentially go to the, uh, go to Seattle at number 59 overall. I've got him penciled in at 61 to Tennessee, but look, Seattle needs, needs some help at the cornerback position. And, uh, you know, I don't know that they would pass on a corner looking at my draft now. Uh, so AJ Terrell could very well end up being that guy. Um, and if that's the case, then I, I think this pick could potentially be used on a pass rusher. And uh, if that's the case, and you're, you're looking at Jonathan Greenard out of Florida, uh, Khalid Kareem out of Notre Dame, or two guys that would probably be there um, at the end of round number three. So just coming up with some additional options as I look at my draft, as I try to finalize and fine-tune um, my mock draft. Um, so we'll see how all of that plays out. I think in, in round number four, uh, you have to look at, at getting some weapons for Russell Wilson. You do have DK Metcalf. You have Tyler Lockett. Um, you brought in Philip Dorsett in free agency. But I think, you know, who's that Who's that next receiver going to be? Who's going to be another guy that can be a, a presence there um, for Russell Wilson? You have three great tight ends. You brought in, in Greg Olson uh, in free agency. That's going to give you some leadership there. Will Disley really surprised everyone with his athleticism there. And then Jacob Hollister, they brought him in, and he's a guy who shows that he can catch the football as well. So they've got quite a few weapons at the tight end position. But I'm looking at K.J. Hill. I think this is a guy that's going to bring something that they don't really have at that receiver position they have a lot of guys who are dynamic and and the speedsters but kj hill what i really like about him is his ability to as a route runner um, ability to get open that's one of the things that you really ohio state receivers are just known for known for running those those crisp routes able to get open um you know just average 11.6 yards per reception so really not a guy who's going to stretch the field uh vertically but a guy like i said very quick in and out of his breaks had 10 touchdowns in uh, in 2019 as a as a, a target there for Justin Fields, and uh, you know I, I think he's he's a complimentary piece. He's not going to be a, a number one wideout, but he's a nice complimentary piece. Um, you know, four six forty, so he's not the most explosive guy, uh, but six foot, 196 pounds. I think this feels like like the right range for him. Some people have him coming off the board in, in the third round. I think fourth round makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm looking at Seattle on the interior of that offensive line. I think you know again. And when you have all those hits on the quarterback, not just uh, the sacks, but those hits end up adding up, you know, and you want to be able to protect Russell Wilson um, as much as possible. And you look at the interior of that line, you've got Ethan uh, Posick um, out of LSU. You've got DJ Fluker there at the, at the right guard position, Phil Haynes, um, a guy that I really liked that they, that they signed as well. Ethan Posick could potentially be playing center because you've got BJ Finney in there that you brought in from Pittsburgh. 
I think they can bring in another guy on the interior of that offensive line. And uh, Solomon Kinley out of Georgia, very physical player. He and um, Andrew Thomas just punishing guys on the left side of that Georgia offensive line. Or, uh, the, Georgia offensive line, they would just punish guys. 6'3", 337 pounds, um, generates a ton of movement, um, very powerful at the point of attack. Um, not the you know, not the most athletically gifted guy, but a, a guy who I think is going to tr- generate a ton of movement, tremendously powerful. Um, so I, I think you know ultimately if you could have Phil Haynes on one side and Solomon Kinley on the other, you know, you've got a couple of guys that's gonna that are just gonna generate a ton of movement. Uh, and then I'm looking in, in round number six, Seattle's last pick in the draft. This is where I have them taking a corner. And like I said, it, it might make sense for them to take a corner before now, before this point in the draft. But I, I look at Seattle and I'm I'm looking at a, a guy that I'm really trying to find some, you know, some length. And looking at a corner, and that's why, again, A.J. Terrell makes a ton of sense. Seattle likes those long corners. Chris Williamson out of Minnesota. He's six foot 205. Uh, Seattle has a compensatory pick, number 215 overall. Um, and I think Chris Williamson, you know, look, this was a guy who he and um, Antoine Winfield Jr., you know, those were the two guys that really set the tone for um, – P.J. Flex secondary there with with the Gophers. I thought Williamson um, was was one of the guys, just kind of an unsung hero of that that secondary. Uh, a guy who I thought, you know, he only had seven pass breakups, just the one interception that he he ran back forty three yards for a touchdown. But uh, you know, a guy who has really good cover skills, he has really good size, and uh, you know, looked pretty good in in postseason workout. Um, in the postseason, um, not only in the in the bowl game, but also at the East-West Shrine game. I believe that's where he was um, off the top of my head. Can't remember. I believe it was the, the East-West Shrine game. But uh, Chris Williamson, I think he's a, a prospect that the more you watch him play, the more you like of him. So sixth round. Sixth, seventh round is probably where Williamson's going to come off the board. I think he does get drafted, even though he wasn't uh, a combine invite. Um, but I, I think if I were to look at this draft now, um, after I look at this uh, my mock draft, I think he still go Cleveland in the first round. Round two, probably AJ, uh, AJ Terrell. Then you look uh, defensive tackle. You go ne- uh, Neville Gallimore at that point. I think you're fine there. And then in round number three, or possibly Jonathan Greenard. And then um, in round number three, you could go defensive tackle, um, not Neville Gallimore, um, but you could potentially, let's see. I'm sorry, in round number, yeah, round number three, you know, there's Curtis Weaver, you know, that, that you could potentially take there in, in round number two as well. Um, you know, I'm sorry, you know, you go AJ Terrell in round number two, round number three, um, if you trade up, you can potentially get Curtis Weaver as a pass rusher. Um, if you stay there in uh, at the bottom of, of round number three, um, then you're probably looking at Khalid Kareem, uh, Jonathan Greenard possibly. And then uh, if you end up going defensive tackle in, uh, let's see, uh, in the fourth round, 
at some point, if you go KJ Hill, then, uh, you know, there's Rashard Lawrence that's going to be out there, potentially McTelvin Aguim out of, uh, out of Arkansas, um, even Nick Coe out of Auburn, 6'5", 285 pounds, athletic guy. Um, that could be a potential uh, pickup there um, in round number four for Seattle. So um, I, I think there are going to be some options that are going to be out there. And uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see which direction Seattle decides to go because I think they need to address – Obviously, that that defense they got to address the back end of the defense. They got to put pressure on the quarterback, and they have to protect Russell Wilson. Those should be their priorities. In which order they do that, you know, it's really going to depend on who's on the board. But I think you have to make sure that you're you don't leave this draft without addressing each of those areas. And then finally, we have the Los Angeles Rams. Now the Rams they're in a situation they don't have. You know, they they tried to win now. And they don't have the draft capital for the next couple of years. Um, traded away their, their first round pick to to Jacksonville for, in the uh, Jalen Ramsey trade, and uh, had to release uh, Clay Matthews. They had to release Todd Gurley. So a team that's really strapped for cash don't really have a whole lot there to work with. And in round number two, I think you have to replace Todd Gurley. You know, Malcolm Brown, uh, Daryl Henderson, John Kelly. Uh, none of those guys are going to move the needle with the running game. So I think you need to get a guy in there that's going to uh, emerge and, and really be that guy that can be the bell cow for them. And I'm looking at Cam Akers. Cam Akers out of uh, out of Florida State, um, 5'10", 217 pounds, ran a 4'4740 at the combine, 35 and a half inch vertical leap as well. Uh, this was a guy who you know, burst onto the scene as a, as a true freshman, you know, really took over the backfield, even though uh, Jacquez Patrick, the, the upperclassman was already there at the position acres uh, over a thousand yards on the ground for the Seminoles, seven touchdowns as well. Um, you know, had kind of a drop off there in 2018 with Willie Taggart. Um, you know, it seemed like, you know, the vision wasn't really there rather than try to cut back, um, you know, back to the inside. He kept looking to try to take the ball to the outside, um, you know, really wasn't trusting, trusting his eyes. Uh, 2019 bounce back season, um, over 1100 yards, 14 touchdowns. And look, this is a guy who can also catch the football out of the backfield, 69, uh, receptions in his career. I look at Cam Akers. He's kind of that, that next running back up. I think after you get past the first four running backs, um, you know, namely, uh, DeAndre Swift and, and Jonathan Taylor, uh, J.K. Dobbins, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Cam Akers is right there. He and, and Zach Moss are the next two running backs. And I think getting Cam Akers, you get a starter, a guy who can be a three-down back for you. And I think that really kind of sets things in motion there for the Rams for the rest of their draft. I think you also have to shore up that offensive line. I think the Rams struggled um, you know, with protecting Goff, keeping him in the pocket, also struggled with, uh, you know, with the running game. And I look at the the interior of that line. Uh, right now, they have Austin Corbett penciled in, uh, along with Austin Blythe at, at the guard positions. Uh, Joseph Noteboom, really a tackle, penciled in as as a as a potential guard as well. 
Um, I think you have to to get better at the guard position. And Andrew Whitworth, look, you know, the ageless wonder, he's back for another year, but but you know, he's he's pushing 40. You know, you, you need to address uh, the tackle position as well. You do have Bobby Evans, you have David Edwards. They filled in well for Whitworth and, and Rob Havenstein down the stretch. So you may have something there with that young nucleus, but I think you have to also address the offensive tackle position um, you know, before everything's all said and done. So with their two um, third round picks, I actually have them taking a couple of offensive linemen. You may say, well, they have to address all these holes on defense, and that's true. But I think if if you're not protecting Jared Goff, you know, and you're not really generating any movement in the running game because they really weren't for Todd Gurley. You know, you look at his yards per carry average; it wasn't impressive at all. Um, then you're really not going to go anywhere. That that team, it was the offense that really stirred the stirred the drink more than anything else. Yes, you had the most dominant player up front in in Aaron Donald, but if that offense isn't clicking and firing on all cylinders, we saw that in the in the Super Bowl. They lost 13 to three. You know, they only gave up 13 points to the Patriots. But if you can only put up three points, you're not going to win very many games. And so I look at at what the Rams are going to do, and I look at a guy like John Simpson out of Clemson. Very physical guy, 6'4", 321 pounds, uh, 34 reps uh, at 225 at the Combine. A guy who is just, he, he's big, he's physical, he'll maul you at the point of attack. I, I like that pick for the Rams. Get physical up front. Um, and then at the end of round number three, I'm looking at, at, at Sadiq Charles out of LSU. He, he's 6'4", 321 pounds, um, pretty athletic kid, ran a 5.05.40 at the combine. Um, I, I need to get him to play a little bit more, or would love to see him play a little bit more upright. Does kind of bend at the waist a little bit. That more acute angle leads him susceptible to get, you know, to getting off balance. Um, but I think Andrew Whitworth could take this kid under his wing and, uh, help with some of that development, help with some of that technique, um, because I think he does have that skill set. Look, you know, down the stretch, I thought that there were times where he played pretty darn well. Some people were saying, "Look, against against Clemson, he was abused at times." Um, you know, and I, I didn't see that. I saw saw a player who, yes, he took some of his lumps um, at times, but he did a really good job driving his man up the field and, and away from the pocket, and uh, utilized his his length to his advantage. And really, you know, I, I thought. You know, as the the game progressed, really got comfortable, and uh, you know, I thought did a solid job there for LSU. Um, third round feels about right for for Sadiq Charles uh, coming out as a junior. Um, I, I think in round number four, I think the Rams end up looking for a linebacker, and uh, whether it's inside or outside, um, I think you have to go linebacker. And I'm actually looking at. Uh, Troy Dye out of Oregon. Could he come off the board in round three? It's entirely possible. 6'3", 231 pounds. Uh, Troy Dye um, was a guy who led Oregon in, in in tackles. You know, came into a senior season leading the team in, in tackles in each of the of his first three seasons, and uh, really didn't disappoint. You know, throughout the year, um, twice had over a hundred tackles for the Ducks. 391 total tackles, 400, uh, I'm sorry, 41 and a half tackles for loss, 13 tackles, uh, I'm sorry, 13 sacks, five interceptions, 14 pass breakups, four forced fumbles. Here's the thing with Troy Dye, the knock that I have on him is, yes, he's a volume tackler, but a lot of those tackles were made down the football field. He wasn't really making a lot of them around the line of scrimmage. He's the guy who's going to be a run and chase type of a linebacker. He's got to make those plays down around the line of scrimmage. He is a tremendous athlete, a guy who who shows some pretty good range in pass protection as well. Struggles against the run. 
Um, so I, I think, you know, the thing that I do like about him is he does have that athleticism and a guy who can cover. I mean, you look at, at the linebackers currently on the Rams roster, you know, I think those are area, that's an area that the Rams really struggle. Um, you know, you've got Micah Kaiser, who's more of a, a run defender, Kenny Young, sideline to sideline player. He's probably the best of their interior linemen or um, interior linebackers when it comes to, uh, you know, the cover skills. Tra- uh, Traven Howard uh, came from, from TCU as a converted safety, was kind of that safety linebacker hybrid type. Um, so he could cover a little bit, um, but I think you bring in Troy Dye and uh, that'll at least um, help solidify the position, at least being able to cover uh, the running back, you know, um, and tight end, um, getting Leonard Floyd, signing him uh, at that outside linebacker position. He's going to team with Samson Ebukam. I think you have the two of them coming off the edge. Justin Lawler as well. The kind of tempers that pass rush need just a little bit. Um, Michael Brockers ultimately coming back to the Rams couldn't sign that deal with the Ravens. I think that's huge for the Rams. And then you get a nose tackle in Ashawn Robinson. So there, there are a few acquisitions there that I think they really hit a home run with. Um, you know, given their limited cap space, um, I thought the Rams did did some nice work there. Um, their biggest loss actually is at the might be at the kick kicking position. You know, you, you lose Todd Gurley, you, you lose Clay Matthews, but you know Greg the Leg Zerline, you know was almost automatic there in special teams. You got to bring in a a guy who um, is going to you can rely on in the kicking game. And I'm looking at Rodrigo Blankenship out of Georgia in the sixth round. I think that's going to be a nice fit there. Rodrigo, you know, known for those glasses, the the fame glasses there. Um, you know, really haven't seen a, a pair of glasses like that really since Brandon Burlesworth. Um, but I, I look at him. And he's the best kicker in college football there for Georgia um, and made some big kicks and pressure pressure situations there in the SEC. I think he ultimately goes to the Rams there in round number six. And then in round seven, I think the, the Rams have to go, you know, get another corner. You have Troy Hill and you have Jalen Ramsey, but there really isn't a whole lot behind them. Could you go safety here? It's entirely possible. You have Taylor Rapp and John Johnson. Could use some depth behind the two of them, but I really think you need to get another corner. That's really the biggest thing. And uh, I think a kid from Oklahoma, uh, Parnell Motley, you know, a guy who I thought struggled early on in his career mightily, but came in as a, a senior and uh, you know had 13 pass breakups. A guy who you know, showed some pretty good ball skills, 33 pass breakups in his career, six interceptions as well. Um, and, and I think you know he also had five forced fumbles this past season. A guy who really knows how to to get after the football. The ball skills are evident. Um, only I believe it was a 29 inch vertical leap. So um, the athleticism is is a bit of a concern. But I think he has some decent cover skills. And a guy who could be that third corner uh, potentially He'll battle David Long for that third cornerback spot. Um, I think Parnell Motley getting him late. You know, in round number seven, a kid who does have some pretty good ball skills. I think that could be an option there for the Rams. So that is our tour of the NFC West. We only have the AFC West left. Um, and in our next podcast, which should be in the next day or so, um, we're going to be taking a look at you know, the Chargers. What do they do with the quarterback position? You're moving on from, from Phillip Rivers. I think that first pick has to be a, a quarterback, whether it's Justin Herbert or, or Jordan Love. We'll have to find that out. Possibly even Tua Tonga Vailoa. There, there are some rumors that Justin Herbert might be in in favor 
in in the Dolphins' favor over Tua because of the the issues with the hip. Could that be a smoke screen? Who knows? Um, so there's definitely going to be a quarterback going to the Chargers there, and then you have to replace Melvin Gordon. Yes, you signed Austin Eckler, but you need a running back round two. Jonathan Taylor possibility. You get another Wisconsin running back. I think it could happen. Um, you know, you look at the Raiders. They're going to be drafting relatively early, number 12 overall. I already spoke to the fact that they need a, a wide receiver, C.D. Lamb. They also have a uh, a number two uh, or a second first-round pick. And uh, I, I think they're probably going to look at the secondary, potentially a safety. And uh, you'll have to tune into the next podcast. I'm, I'm kind of throwing a little bit of a curveball here. Who I think is, is the best safety in this draft. Um, we'll talk about that. Uh, number 15 overall, Denver. I honestly believe a lot of people are saying they may go defense. I think they need to get a vertical threat for Drew Locke. Um, I thought he he really needed that, um, and that's one of the things that's lacking in Denver right now. That's really what he need, what he had in Missouri at Missouri, um, and that's really when he excelled was when he had that vertical threat. Henry Ruggs the third could be off the board before 15, but I think that would be a perfect pick there for for Drew Locke, and we'll talk more about why that is. Um, and then Kansas City, I think they have to find a pass rusher. I think they absolutely have to find a pass rusher opposite Frank Clark. Yitra Gross Matos could potentially be off the board to Seattle before that, as we talked about. But if he's sitting there at 32 overall, Chiefs would be crazy not to go ahead and jump on uh, you know, the big pass rusher there out of Penn State. So those, you know, just an early look at the first round picks there for uh, the AFC West. Hope you guys have enjoyed the content so far. Hope you join me again for episode 32 when we do look at the AFC West. But until then, take care, everyone. Make sure you're washing your hands. Uh, be safe out there. Uh, you know, bye bye the, the the social distancing, uh, sheltering in place, and uh, we'll do this again. You know, here in the next couple of days. So for readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast, episode 31 of the 2020 podcast series, getting you ready for the NFL draft. I've been your host, Greg Schutz, and uh, take care, everyone. I am out of here.